Welcome to the Who You Know podcast, where we discuss all things relative to media and entertainment, all designed to support our career growth. From networking to climbing up the ranks, whether you are a newbie or a vet in transition, whatever, doesn't matter. This podcast is for you. My name is Shirley Renee Williams, and I am an executive producer and director extraordinaire. I'm also head of strategic planning and partnership for the great Hugh You Know. And today's guest is Ms. Sherilyn Baptiste. Sherilyn is an award-winning executive producer with 15 plus years experience. She's a pro, y'all, of that. She has produced content and managed media campaigns for Fortune 500 companies in tech, retail, and entertainment industries. Her portfolio includes e-commerce, branded creative. What is an advertorial? <laughs> Basically branded content that advertisers do, but they think it's editorial, but they can't call it editorial because they're promoting their product in low-key way. So it's, it's, it's advertorial. Okay, I've never heard that term, and I work in yeah, Today, branded. it's branded content, okay. but before branded content, it was like advertorial. Okay. Her portfolio includes e-commerce, branded created, and advertorials, integrated production, commercials, and events for in-house studios and ad agencies, including the New York Times, RGA, Condé Nast, Nike, Samsung, Google, National Geographic, Sky Vodka, and the list goes on and on and on and on. I literally asked her, like, is there more that she wants me to add into? Because I'm pretty sure there's tons with having 15 years experience. Welcome to the Hugh You Know Lessons for the Culture podcast, Ms. Sherilyn. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. I'm excited to you? have you. I'm great. Sherilyn, you literally have like the most perfect teeth. <laughs> Gotta thank my orthodontist back in the day. It's, it's, it's held me down. <laughs> Thank you. They are beautiful. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Trying to, you know, enjoy what's left of summer as, as this these weeks are dwindling down and, and holding on to it and then trying to be outside when I can. I'm yeah. um, doing well. Good. I am too. It's hella hot and it's scary. I've been seeing on the news how because of climate change, so many states are experiencing droughts and it's affecting our food supply and affecting inflation and all these, it's affecting everything. And I'm not going to go there because that's not what we came here for. But <laughs> yeah, it's hot outside. All that to say is it hot is, outside. It is. It's hot outside, so, but I'd rather it hot right now than snow. So that's, that's why I, I try to keep my optimism. Yeah, no complaints. I love heat. I really, really love heat. So, uh, Sherilyn, let's go all the way back to, um, to the beginning. And can you bring what you, you have a, a, a interesting degree. Uh, you, can you tell me a little bit about what your degree is in and how it su supported your career? Yeah. So I, I have a bachelor's in marketing. Uh, from the University of Illinois, and then I have a master's in integrated digital media from NYU. Um, technically, at the time when I went, it was the Polytechnic Institute of NYU, but it's been renamed Hannon School of Engineering, so you can kind of say I have an engineering degree, which is pretty unheard of for folks that usually I encounter in this industry. But yeah, it was um, really one of the forays that really immersed me into the world of production, ironically. What attracted you to it? Um, well, at that time, I was about four years into my like and like my career, right? So I started my career at MTV and ad sales, which wasn't necessarily where I wanted to start. I wanted to work in music and naively thought, you know what, if I get this job here, I can somehow parlay it into something more creative. And I just wanted to get my foot into the door and, and get into New York. Um, but I found myself kind of four years into this role and not wanting to um, stay in it. So I pretty much um, was doing all these things on the side to keep myself creative. Um, that included learning how to code and, and create websites and create blogs. Um, and this is pre what Facebook is now all, all the time, like all the stuff of like 
people being on Blogger, Blogspace, all that kind of stuff. And um, in doing that, I realized I don't want to stay in this career, in this job. I need an out. And my mind thought grad school. And so I started looking at tons of programs. And I also knew I didn't want to have to take a GMAT or a GRE test. Um, But I wanted to really learn, like, what is digital about? Um, And I found this program at NYU that was, like, super interesting. It was pretty much like this studio-based program where you immerse yourself in all things creative technology. Um, so like experiential stuff, projection mapping, um, working with AR, um, all types of stuff, photography, uh, and I just went for it. I got in and went to bed at full time two years. Um, and that literally like changed like the whole landscape of, of my career tra- trajectory. Dope. So how did you become a producer? Um, so... It's kind of an interesting path. Like I, I, I didn't necessarily seek out to be a producer. It kind of found me, so to speak, though there are parallels if I think back to like high school and stuff that I was doing at the time that are like worse production related. Um, but coming out of grad school, I needed to pay those loans. So I started freelancing as a project manager, um, an e-commerce project manager. I My first gig was at Toys R Us, pretty much doing all this like content for their website. From that, I got another freelance gig at Condé Nast, um, working on like Wired and doing some other stuff for like their website and working with brands. And then that kind of parlayed into um, landing a full-time job at RGA, which was really like my producer training gown. I went from project Mm -hmm. management to production there. Um, But production and advertising is really unique because you wear multiple hats. You might be doing content production. You might be doing project management. You might be doing tech. You might be doing experiential. And I was kind of doing some of everything. Um, And RGA is really known as like this juggernaut in the industry. Like if you do production at RGA, you are getting like true training on how to do budgets, how to manage schedules, how to Mm -hmm. like all of that kind of producer chop training. So I did a year and a half on Samsung which is another beast. <laughs> um, Samsung is also anyone you know who's worked on Samsung, like you've basically been hazed and got your like entry point. And so all of those things culminated into me finding, uh, like trying different things, different type of projects, um, mm-hmm. like doing these launch campaigns, doing video spots. Um, and I started falling in love with just the process. Um, and that's really how I kind of like transitioned uh, into production. Got it. I always tell people it's it's a very working in branded because I do a lot of work in branded. It's um, it's a it's a different landscape uh, around production, right? Especially when I think it's different if you work with. If you're working at a company that has an audience and a brand is trying to reach that audience, say like a Vice, a Bleacher Report, a um, a Refinery Twenty One, because of the or <laughs> Refinery Twenty Nine, because the brand is really relying on you to inform them on best practices and what you need to do in order to reach reach that audience. But in other situations, when brands come to you and they're like hey, we want you guys to create, I don't know, a 30-second piece of commercial or whatever for us. It's a very different experience. And um, is that what you mean around, like, Samsung was a beast? Like, what was it about work about working with a brand, a, such a big and powerful brand like Samsung that made it so challenging? So working with certain brands like that, right, they've got money, which is exciting because you could do a lot. But then when you're working with a brand like that, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of levels of stakeholders that you got to get things through. And you can find yourself, you know, pitching a project and it getting approved and getting it approved. And just as you're planning for production around it and it gets to the top, it can get pulled and you're told to pivot and start over with the same timeline. And so those are the things that can be really challenging when you're you're dealing with something like that. It was like, you have a brand that could throw as much money as they want to and not change their timeline and you still have to get it done with the same amount of bodies, which just means like you end up putting even more hours than you probably don't have um, to, you know, to make something happen. 
Um, so you're often stretched to, to different capacities than other, situ- other situations. And when you're dealing with brands on that level, you know, in the advertising side, I would say what's different than versus working on like something that's like original content is that you don't necessarily have that wiggle room in your timeline. If you're doing something for a holiday campaign and you're like ideating in August and you're going through this pitch process and like you're trying to get, you know, greenlit and come October when you're thinking, yes, we're about to get greenlit and we can go straight to production and you're told, hey, start over because I don't like it because the CMO doesn't like it you know, you're left scrambling and you got to come up with more ideas and you still need to deliver for that holiday timeline, like that, that's fixed, you know? And so those are some of the challenges that come up working brand side that can make it challenging, but it can also be super rewarding when you're working with like really awesome creative people and having a tight timeline and trying to like literally seeing folks come up with some amazing ideas out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen things like that happen around events like the Super Bowl, March Madness, holidays. Uh, it is very challenging, super duper challenging. I worked with, um, I worked at Vayner Media, which is Gary Vaynerchuk's company, as a freelance producer, off and on over the course of like two years, a few years ago, and I got to experience a lot of that. Uh, working on the ad side as a producer, what would you say, and it could be very, very tough and it's not for everybody. What would you say are some of the qualities or traits that you need to possess as a producer working in branded content that can, that can make it like where you can sustain and you can enjoy it? Cause I, I, I meet a lot of people who get burned out by it don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. What supported you? I mean, I, I've definitely had, you know, that experience um, of, of having that burnout and stuff. I think at that time, you know, like I was much younger than I am now and I was hungry. I really was excited by, and I, I do still get excited by some of these type of projects, like stuff that I've never done before. They're the, they call it NBDB, never been done before kind of campaigns because it's, it's, those are the things that can kind of sometimes keep you going. But for me, you know, at that time, I really had this goal. You know, one was definitely advancing my career as a producer um, and gaining as much experience as possible. And so I've definitely been blessed to work with some really notable brands that has helped open other doors for me because of the fact that I've gotten that brand recognition. And in doing so too, you know, like I've really wanted to hone in on the talent, which I think is or not just the talent, but like my, my skill set. So I think it's like if you know you want to you want to be a producer, you want to be versatile, and you like working with different brands, and you're really you know interested in making a difference in terms of like what type of campaigns you know come out or like how brands speak to different audiences, especially from a quote unquote multicultural lens. As is it you know had tended to be called like there's general marketing, there's multicultural marketing. Right. And so like, I was really passionate um, about how like working with brands and like, how do they reach consumers who look like me? And those are some things that I had to remember, like, you know, when times got hard, like what's my, why my, why one is that, you know, anything that I, I, I set out to do in my career, I want to master. Like, that's just the type of person I am. And so I want to learn from the best of the best. And if I'm in an environment that's tough and challenging, but I'm surrounded by some of the smartest people ever, like, that keeps me going because I'm always learning something. And it stretches me. Um, you know, so that, that you know, was one of the things that used to keep me going was that I was surrounded by some of the brightest people that sparked my own creativity Um, I was, you know, working long-term with one specific brand, which allowed you to kind of build a relationship, understand the product, understand the audience. So then you can also start offering suggestions and advice on like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't use that verbiage. Um, because that might be, you know, you might think it's cool, but like, no, like folks of color are not really going to like be responsive to that, but like you need, you know, people like us in the room and like that, that also kept me going and, in terms of, you know, oftentimes in this industry, I've been used to being like the only person of color on a team or one of very few, you know, working on a specific brand. And that that 
to me means something. Like I, I have a voice no matter what level, you know, whether you're at the bottom or at the top, like when your presence is there, like you have an opportunity to, to lend your voice. So those are some of the things that, you know, despite the challenges you like kept me going. Um, and then I would say over time, I've learned that, you know, there's, there's production, I think in any facet can lend itself to burnout because of the nature of what production is, you know, and like what your timelines are. And so over time, I've grown to understanding like when there's moments of intense stress, um, how do I find balance? How do I ground myself? Or, um, and this is why I've stayed in freelance for so long because it allows me to have like those moments where like I'm super busy because it's Q4 and I'm working on a bunch of campaigns. Um, but then I know like I'm going to take a month off and not take another contract for a while to decompress. And freelancing has given me that opportunity to do that in other ways that other folks don't get to in their profession. How important is that decompression time, especially when you're working on really intense projects, long periods of time, back to back? Um, as I've gotten older, as I've become a mom now, um, and my my lifestyle has evolved quite a bit, it's, it's even more... I would say important now, especially coming, you know, out of, I guess you call this post-pandemic age, if you will, um, you know, that definitely has, was an eye opener, you know, but I like, you know, pandemic, I think changed things and opened things up for a lot of people um, into the perspective of like well-being, right. And, and your mental health. But for me, like I was already working from home pre-pandemic. And, and starting to, you know, request not to have to come into the office until unless necessary, right? And so what I found is that, you know, if you're a person who's super passionate, like myself, like I'm, I'm passionate, like when I'm working on a project that I really love, I become like a workaholic. So it's hard for me to pull back. Um, so I'm consciously aware of like that I have to schedule these moments of pullback. Um, when I'm in a production, I need to schedule moments where like I'm taking my lunches and not sitting at my computer through lunch all the time, or I'm scheduling my mani petties. I'm, I'm scheduling like, you know, moments where I just watch reality TV to like watch nonsense and decompress, right? Like all of that is key, but it takes being like really self-aware. Um, and so that's probably like something I would recommend to like folks who are starting out is like really hone in on, on your self-awareness and, and what's going on with you within your body and what like your body tells you everything. Like when you're under so much stress, you, you will see it. You'll see it in the changes in like, your hair texture and your skin. Like you'll start breaking out, like all that type of stuff. And you have to kind of pay attention and like allow yourself to know like, Hey, I need to take a break. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm any less of a producer. I'm any that I'm slacking or so to speak. Like, it's not that at all. Like you are deserving and worthy of having these breaks in order to can help you continue. Right. And like propel you forward. I love that. What's, what's uh, something really cool that you got for free from a brand? your favorite your favorite your favorite free gift you got from a brand oh my gosh I mean I've got so much stuff over the years I don't know if I have like a favorite I've just like I just like love getting stuff like I just love it's like Tyra mail all the time right like you're like oh what did I get today I learned about you know different type of liquors because I've gotten like different types of wines and stuff for free to um a lot of products you know Samsung I got headphones and I used to have to have like everyone had to have a Samsung phone so like they gave us Samsung phones plus I had my iPhone <laughs> so like you'd have like double devices um to just free tickets to events and experiences and all the free food and and travel and, and all that kind of stuff to me that's like they're all it's just all the perks that this is another thing that keeps you going sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah so we, I, I meet a lot of people who, you know, when they're coming from one, one world to another world, or I'm sorry, from one industry to another industry, a lot of people don't see the value in it. And they see it as a, a block, a hindrance. It's like, oh, I've been working in 
I don't know, I've been working in publishing all my life and I want to become a, a director or producer and it feels like such a far reach. And I always tell people, look at what you've learned, what you've gained, your transferable skills and how you can apply that to where you're headed or where you want to go. Um, I know Joe Berlinger, who's one of the, you know, biggest directors in true crime right now, he started out in, I think, in ads. Um, and you started out in ad sales. So what what did you gain or learn from, from ads, ad sales that supported you as a producer? Oh, man, client service. I mean, like, I, I'll go into, like, when I'm interviewing for, like, a new gig or whatever, that's always, like, the leading part. Like, how do you make, like, make sense of, like, going from ad sales to production or whatever? And for me, it, it's the, the, the biggest transferable skills that came from ad sales, client service. Like, I was a client service rep was my, what my title became after it was sales assistant. And all you did was like schmooze clients, right? You had to cater to their needs. We want to make sure they're happy because they're spending so much, you know, revenue and stuff like that, which, you know, is about how you communicate with them. How do you understand them? And like all of that, I am always a client facing producer in any role that I take on as a, as a, and honestly, as a result, I'm like super comfortable. Clients love me. Folks are super comfortable putting me with like a C-suite stakeholder to like the very junior stakeholder on an account. And it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's one of the skills I say, you know, like if, if, if you're growing up and the folks tell you like, you have to be nice and like build those relationships with like somebody's like executive assistant or like the janitor, like that type of thing. Like that's the same thing. Um, it's learned, taught me how to build relationships. So you know, for those folks who are like, you know, and I know people like this too, like I've worked in, I don't know, packaging or CPG for like the forever and I don't want to do this anymore. And it's like, then don't go for what you want. Like everything is transferable and there's always a way to like, like connect the dots and parlay your story into like something else. And there's like so many examples tried and true of folks who, who've done that and switched up their careers so I don't, I never think of it as like a, a hindrance. If anything, it's something that always adds value because you come with a different perspective versus someone who's only known one type of world and grown up and like continues to move up in that way, which is nothing wrong with that. But in this day and age, especially as how things change and evolve with technology, like the more perspective, the better. Yeah. And what exactly is ad sales? So in like the most layman terms, ad sales is, you know, selling spots, right? So like when you watch TV and like you see an ad or commercial, that specific 30 second spot was sold by someone like from like the publisher, like let's say it's MTV, like that network has a, a rep that sold that spot to this agency or person who's repping the brand to to buy that so like you know super bowl is probably the biggest um spots that folks spend millions of dollars for like that little itty bitty you know increment like a lot of planning and, and work is done around that um months 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 in advance wow okay and what companies did you do that for um so viacom um primarily working on like your what they call kids of family like so like nickelodeon tv land nick at night like those uh suite of of channels and now you're an executive producer and you work primarily in branded content right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. primarily right now i would say my niche is branded content though over the course of my career i've done a lot of like non-branded content so like some stuff that's considered experiential um, some stuff that's just considered traditional campaign work for brands when they're like launching a product or like, a new service, so to speak. Um, but when I say branded content has become my niece, um, it's because I've kind of spent a good chunk of the last few years specifically focused on branded content work. What does it What does it look like or mean to be an EP, an executive producer, and in, in branded content? Um, you're typically the go-to, the conduit at, at the onset of when you're, when we're either pitching for work, right? So like you might be involved in, um, 
let's say you're at an agency, speaking from an ad agency perspective, and you've got clients and they, they come to you with like this RFP and they're like, hey, we want to do this project, so to speak. You come up with ideas, so you lead the pitch, which would be everything from like, you know, kind of steering the creative team, um, but also a lot of scoping um, and, and, and managing the budget and, and kind of estimating like, what is this going to cost to do it? And then if you win the pitch, then you're like building up a team and overseeing that team and sometimes handing it off to like a senior producer to run, or sometimes you're like running it, but like you're really building the team of like support, um, everything from like associate producers and up to like, who's going to be on the creative side and, and all of that. And then managing projects, like managing the budget, the timeline and the client communication, um, you know, that tends to be aspects, you know, from an agency side, but then you're also doing a lot of just building, building with the client, projecting, kind of finding more opportunities, finding more avenues for, you know, how can we pitch new ideas or how can we evolve this project into to more facets to bring in more revenue? Um, so it's, it's a lot of stuff that's more at the top in terms of understanding a client or a brand and finding opportunities and then um, also setting your team up for success so that they, you know, aren't burning through all the money, you know, and, and that the project, um, you know, doesn't have as many hurdles. And then when there is a hurdles, like, you know, you're the one that people go to for the answers on how to problem solve. Um, so it's a lot of liaising between other groups and departments on coming up with solutions. So are you working in pre-sale and post-sale? I have. It really just depends on the brand or the client that I'm, I'm working with at the time. Because every company is kind of, you know, we all do production, but they're all like everyone kind of operates differently. But I've, I've done it all. Are you freelancing now or are you staffed somewhere? So I just wrapped up a freelance contract that was like a nine month EP role um, this couple weeks ago. And I am taking a summer sabbatical because nice. um, I definitely got to that point of burnout. So trying to take the summer off. Um, and then where I'm at right now um, for my next move, I'm at a toss up between staying freelance versus going full time. Um, I um, lately have been at a toss up between the two because there's, I see, I see pluses and minuses to both. Yeah. Let's talk about that because I, I always tell people freelancing is not for everybody. You have to have uh, a a certain kind of personality and faith and spirit because it is not for everyone. I have never had a staff job and I've been working in the industry for 11 years. Um, I'm not a staff staffer. I'm not a staff person. I believe that, you know, I was created to, to create opportunities for people. So I have my own my own production company. But before that came to be, I was always very, very clear that staffing was not for me. I am a freelancer. I like to just be able to get up and go. I don't like to be tied down to, or I didn't like to be tied down to companies. I love the freedom and the flexibility. But right, I had to be very smart and responsible around my money, around my projections, around planning so that I never went without. And I was I was very blessed because I have never in my entire career had one dark day um, unless it was by choice, unless it was because of like what, what you do is like, oh no, I'm gonna take a little break. I did a film once and it was so, so tough. It, it was um, Intent to Destroy with actually Joe Berlinger. So tough. It was about the Armenian genocide and it was just so emotionally taxing because of the content and our team was small. And Joe, who is a phenomenal director, who I learned so much from, he has a standard that we had to we had to live and work by. And I, I, I mean, I just learned so much, he's brilliant. But I was burned out and I was like, I'm taking time off and I took two months off. Uh, but you know, you can't always do stuff like that at a staff job. So for you, what would you say are like pros and cons to to being a staff staffer versus a freelancer and where are you leaning are you leaning more towards freelance are you leaning more towards staff um uh, good question so 
pros and cons to being a freelancer like honestly it really depends on to your point like the type of person you are you know if you're a person who like for me I'm like just super independent um I found that you know in certain staff roles where I just had roadblocks on how I wanted to move, like where I wanted to move my career next, the type of opportunities I wanted to advance into. And I was meeting so many different hurdles that I found like freelancing has led me to propel my career, I think, at a faster rate than had I stayed staff Um, because of the opportunities I've had to work at different companies and different organizations. And financially, it has also um, helped me to like honestly increase my rate at a much faster pace than had I stayed, you know, salaried somewhere. So that has like, honestly probably the two of the things that keep me freelance is like the flexibility, um, the fact that like every project, you know, like yesterday's price is not today's price. <laughs> and, you know, it has it has grown. And then, you know, I get to kind of choose what opportunities feel right versus feeling like I'm obligated to stay in something because like, oh, I started this full-time role and I need to be here for like a year before I think about making a move. Like freelancing, you're like, okay, I did this three-month project. It wasn't the right fit. Let me find that next one. And you keep it moving, (laughs) right? So, you know, that has been like one of the pros about freelancing is just being able to kind of like choose almost like one of those like choose your own path type of like stories, so to speak. And um, but it, of course, comes with its challenges. Like you have to have a really, really good network. Um, I've been blessed to have a network where like I don't traditionally apply for jobs the way folks do. Like and you go and fill out a, a res- you know, submit your resume. Like I'll submit my resume at times, but usually I'm getting pinged because somebody referred me. And then referred me to somebody else and referred me to somebody else. And then my, you know, or I work on a project and I enjoy working with like a specific creative director who wants to bring me on to their, their next move. Right. And so it's like, I've learned that it's super, super important, like relationships, hands down. If you're going to be a freelancer, you have to have some solid relationships and be okay with like building relationships with people who don't look like you. Because oftentimes some of those opportunities will come from the folks like who will put you on who just don't look like you. And you have to be open to that. Child, the white folks have put me on. I'm going to say it explicitly. White people have put Mm -hmm. me on. And it's not because black people don't love me because they absolutely do. I, I love my people. It's because of the lack of us in this industry. I'm pretty sure if there was more of us in here, more people we could put more people on. But yeah, that's not but but to your point, because there's not so many of us in here and the majority are white folks, we have to make relationships with them because they are the people that can help to advance us. Carry on. That and people hire their friends. And they also hire who they like, even if you're not friends. People hire people who they like. If you're gonna be on a, sh- on a project working, we spend more time with the people that we work with and the people that we live with in our family and friends. If you're gonna be on a project, eight, 10, 12, 16 hours out of the day, you wanna be on it with people you like, not people who you don't like and who will make your life difficult. Be, make friends and be someone that people enjoy being around. Okay, carry on. 100%, especially in this day of Zoom and everyone's like working remote, like it's even become even more apparent, right? Like you got to learn how to communicate with folks in different manner. And a lot of that is done over Slack, over emails, over like Zoom conversations. And so that has also been a proponent that has carried me through and kind of sometimes keeps me freelancing is like sometimes opportunities just fall into my lap because someone hits me up and then I'm like, oh, that's cool money's right. I'm just going to go see what that is. And then I end up on a project and then it continues and, and so, so on and so forth. Um, in terms of, of full-time, you know, I mean, there's definitely the perks of having that stability, you know, and depending on what stage you are, if you're trying to buy a house, if you're trying to have a child or so on and so forth, sometimes that stability is a little bit more advantageous. Like there are times where, you know, when I had my daughter three years ago, I was freelancing and then I, um, you know, I had a contract up until I was about, let's say she was born, like eight months pregnant. And then I, you know, had time off, but I, you know, was smart enough to stack 
you know, and, and I have a partner who has a completely opposite, you know, career and it's super, super stable. So I have that, you know, that comfort and, and knock on wood, his, you know, excellent, you know, health insurance, but not everyone is afforded that type of things. Right. And so, you know, that can be one of the struggles if you're freelancing is that you are your own boss. Like if you're freelancing, you definitely should have your LLC so you can write everything off because you are a business. But that also means like you have to find your opportunities. You have to manage your books. You have to pay your own taxes. Like there's all these other things that are not done for you that you have to do for yourself. And sometimes, you know, if you're not built for that, like it, it could, that can be exhausting, you know, because that's extra brain power that you're using that, you know, you end up, you know, you're not doing just a nine to five as a freelancer. You tend to work a little bit more than that, not necessarily to like the specific project, but like also the fact that you are a business and you need to have your stuff in order. And so, you know, those are some of the things where like sometimes being full time is nice because you get, you know, your paid vacation, your paid days off. If you're taking a day off as a freelancer, that's not paid. So you have to account for that, you know, budget wise. Um, and so like for me, the reason I toggle back and forth is because I know that I definitely see myself in a position of leadership. Um, I definitely want to strive towards, you know, just moving higher and higher. And so when I look at folks who are maybe, you know, in a VP role, you know, a lot of, I don't know that many freelance VP <laughs> like folks, right. You know, that that's a little bit of, of, uh, a different type of move as well as like the type of influence you have when you're sitting at a leadership role. And if you're a staff, like it's a different playing field than when you're just an individual contributor, and so for me, that's kind of like where I'm starting to um, assess in terms of stay. Do I want to just stay freelance and just, you know, run teams and lead projects and, and work on a bunch of different projects? Or do I want to now have impact at an organization and influence like the entire organization in terms of how they do all of their production and the type of, you know, third party partners that they bring in, the type of freelancers that they hire and what they look like and like. How do I influence, you know, that aspect of things? And that looks completely different. That requires me being able to, you know, build relationships internally and be more entrepreneurial at an, one specific organization and seeing can I just instill impact and make a difference that way. Um, and so those are two different paths, you know, and, it, and me being the person who's just super ambitious, um, you know, I... I'm, I'm starting to steer towards, you know, wanting to be on that, like more leadership management track. Um, but that also comes with that sacrifice of like, okay, then I might have to give up that freelance life. I can see that so clearly for you. That's amazing. And I love your, um, your mission driven and you're thinking much more greater than yourself. You're thinking about how you can take all of your brilliance and your passion and make an impact that can change corporate cultures and climates and help people. And I love that. That's amazing. I love, love, love that. Or you can like, even if you can't Thank do that you. now, or you just <laughs> right now, like segue into like being a VP, you could, there's so many startups and people like producers who are, who have production companies who you can partner with and you could probably flip those companies on their heads overnight with your, uh, your expertise. So, okay. So for uh, you're headed towards this VP role for people that also have, um, a like aspirations, what would you say is the trajectory to getting there? Like you come in as an assist and you do what, or you come in as a what? And then you're doing what to get up to there? I would say you could start out definitely as like a production coordinator, even if, you know, you're, if you've already interned and you're like at that senior, senior year point, like, I think you could definitely start out as a production coordinator coming out of school. Um, or if you've had like sizable experiences and in internships wise, like come out and start out as an associate producer, right? That's like probably the entry point. And then work your way up. Definitely, you know, pay attention to different producers and their different styles. Because every producer has, you know, I've learned has a different way of how they manage their work and coming up there with their own systems for how they, they, they go through a production. Um, but just be a sponge and 
take on every opportunity that lights you up inside, right? And even sometimes the ones that don't necessarily light you up, but you can see like, okay, this brand is going to open a door or this specific project, like think about the next move. It's not just the move that you're about to make right now, but the move after that. And like, how does this move going to help me for that next move? And I feel like that's at every stage of your career, right? And so always thinking of like that long-term trajectory of like, where do I see myself in five years? Um, And how does this move help the next move that's going to help me to get there? Like all of that is like super connected. But yeah, like my path isn't like super traditional, so to speak. I started out as a sales assistant, but I think, you know, over time, like most folks, it's like the longer trajectory of things is always like there's like this assistant coordinator level. And then you're kind of like that first layer, um, you know, middle point manager zone, right? Um, which could be at different levels of producer, producer, senior producer, and, and working your way up or like senior manager and so on and so forth up until you get to like your EPs, which are kind of like at your director level. And then you go into like what you call being an individual contributor. So like when you're starting out, you're definitely just that individual contributor and then eventually get to your manager level and you keep moving up and you kind of have to assess for yourself, like what makes sense for me? Do I want to just be a team player or do I want to run a team? Not everyone wants to run teams. And I do think also like folks should take some leadership classes. And and maybe not with, um, for sure. you know, just like random people on TikTok, but actually actual courses yeah with uh professionals okay and i'm also glad that you said the piece around i didn't have a traditional uh entry into this because so two parts two things come up for me so many times people are like they wanted the how how do i do it right people are looking for this very black and white set in stone answer and it doesn't exist i can tell you like okay i can tell you like what are like general steps? You're like a pro- production assistant, then like a production coordinator, then maybe a production manager, then maybe a, a line producer, or maybe, and then maybe a, 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 a senior producer, right? There's, there's, um, there's different trajectories. And, and a lot of times these vary, generally they're the same, but they do vary when you're going from different mediums, from like a branded to reality, to a documentary, a scripted, but there is no, this is how you get in other than be creative, make relationships, tell people what you're doing, prepare, get yourself ready. But there's no answer. That's like, you know, you just, you go on staff me up and you apply for a job and you'll get one that that's not how it works this is a it's a different industry it's a different beast use your creativity and and nobody's mine my entry way was different from yours every we've talked to so many people on this podcast and everyone has had a different story about how they got in but it all came down to relationships and us using our creativity 100%. Especially, I mean, you know, there wasn't what Instagram is now and TikTok. Like, all of that was not in existence when I started out. Like, it definitely wasn't, you know, when I was in college. So I feel like now you've got all these new job titles. You know, there's people who hold social media titles and just social media agencies now. People who are just coming out the gate as content creators and, and getting, you know, contracts of brands. Like, it's a different foray. And, and I speak of that because social media production, content production is a thing and looks completely different from, you know, your branded content and the people who are content creators, like they are doing a form of production. They're ideating, they're setting up their whole thing, you know? So there's always like, there's always a pivot. There's always an opportunity in. it's really on you to one, go out there and don't be afraid to just meet folks and make relationships. And not always, like every person you meet doesn't have to have a takeaway or something that you can get out of it. It should just generally be like just meeting people to stay connected because this person you meet today may end up being somebody that can be helpful to you five years from now. You know what I mean? And so it it shouldn't be transactional. It should really be about like just general like relationship building and just human to human, like 
What is, who are you? What are you about? What is your experience? Do we connect? Do we vibe? I like you. You like me? Cool. Let's stay in touch. And it's going to be that simple, you know, especially if you work together on a project, but like relationships hands down. And then when it comes to just like getting your foot in the door, or if you, you know, started on one path and you decide, I want to try something different. So you need to get your foot into like a completely different door. Um, have informational interviews, talk to people, start trying to do your own projects, go to events related to the type of stuff that you're into and just kind of be a sponge, um, absorb as much information as possible. Like for me, you know, one of the things that I've also been thinking about if I don't stay on this production, you know, track is jumping into creative. But I know I'm like, ah, I'm not going back to school right now to go get any type of other degrees in terms of designing or so to speak. So like, what can I do right now that allows me to be creative? Can I connect with photographers and creative directors and be like, hey, let me be on your shoot. Let me learn how you art direct your stuff and learn from that. And that builds relationships, right? And then builds experiences. And you can kind of figure out in your roles, like how can I add more creative, like for me, how can I add more creativity into my next role that expands on that skill set and allows me to add more of these creative skills so I can start building the story of, okay, so she was in ad sales and then she got into project management and then she got into production. And now she's like, oh, she's going to become a creative director. And she did that because she started, you know, pivoting and taking from this and adding to this and started, you know, adding ideas to project and started adding mood boards and started offering up stuff, right? Like you have to be willing to, you know, things don't just come to you and things are just not going to like happen overnight. Like you have to put in the work, but do the work that makes sense do the work that, you know, is going to add value, right? Like pivots can happen. Folks pivot all the time and you'll be surprised, like, especially people who don't look like us, like how many of them are just like, oh, you know what? I'm just a creative director today. And they were just like something completely different yesterday. And they happen to land that job because they fake it till they make it. I have an idea for you and we could talk more about it offline, but I think me offering it here can also support listeners. One thing you can do... Um, when you said add, add, see how you can add value, which is like, it's in my lexicon. I always say those words, see how you can add value. Like you are such a boss and such a brilliant mind and you can EP in your sleep. And it's like, I've done this before where people want me for a certain thing. And I'm like, yeah, I'll come supervise your post production, but you got to let me handle your creative and people will jump and say, yes. Like, easy way in. I I actually started doing a little bit of that in my last freelance role. Um, so I was <clears throat> hired on as like a EP slash production lead for a startup, um, and they're a very 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 lean team. And then over the course of my time, they're like we lost quite a bit of our creative leadership team. So that forced me to be like. We have a lean production and I'm on set and I don't have a creative director. So guess who has to kind of step in? That was me. And that was 100% like you have people who are like, oh, well, I'm not paid to do that. Right. So like, that's not my job title. I'm not going to do that. Okay, that's fine. But then don't say like you're don't complain about not having opportunity, like opportunity is everywhere. And so for me, that's the thing. My eyes always see opportunity, which is why I've been great in my like role, because I will find the money. I will find an avenue for myself to do something creative. Um, and so that's something that like, you know, thank you for that suggestion. Like I'm definitely running with that. Uh, I started doing it in my last last role, and this is 100% affirming that because I will continue to do that until I get to where I want to be. And so, if, like for folks listening, it's like there are opportunities everywhere. You just gotta, you just gotta, you know, still yourself, see it, and then like go for it. And don't be afraid that that you're gonna necessarily step on toes. You know what I mean? Like if you want to be more creative. And you're working in production or you're creative and you want to go into produce, you know, producing, right? You want to switch. Um, being a person who like, you know, wants to be a sponge and listen and learn, you know what I mean? doesn't mean that you're going to step on toes if you're like, hey, can I support you? You know, like if you're a creative and you're like, I want to learn production, can I support you? Can I like shadow you and learn how to like how you, you know, build a budget? 
can I learn how you like do your timeline? Like how, like ask those questions, right? Cause I'll usually folks like will love talking about like the work that they do if they're passionate about it and they know like I can teach you something. So you have to kind of be open to that too, but like opportunity comes in so many different shapes and sizes and you just have to humble your ego sometimes and be okay. Like this might mean I have to roll up the sleeves and do stuff that I was not assigned to do, but I know if I take on this thing, it's going to, just propel me forward. I want to do something fun that I've never done on this podcast before. I want to talk about rates. Okay, I'm with it. And I want to talk about rates. Oh, yes. And I want to do it in a fun way. So because you do so much hiring, I'm going to throw out roles. And if you could give me like a rate range, like a day rate range. Oh, okay. So my, my, my day rate ranges though, yep. is, is coming from the world that I live in. So when you, when I want to be transparent, because I do, I do have found, I'm starting to discover that rates are not universal. If you're working in, you know, branded content versus working on like a scripted it. reality show. Yes. So digital rates, you know, if you're working for a publication is very different from working in a doc right? Versus working for a brand versus it, but for uh, Cheryl Lynn's uh, world, which is, which is branded, we'll live within that. And I'm excited to do this because people can make a lot of money on this side, working as a freelancer, getting a day rate. Okay. So, uh, and you can give me a range, uh, project manager, I've seen project managers go for like five, six hundred, just mid regular mid level project managers. Editor. Seven to eight a day. Seven to eight hundred. Uh, associate producer. <laughs> it's interesting. Um three to five hundred a day. Three is too low. So whenever I give ranges, always at least go for a middle, but go for go higher. Always go higher. Always go higher. Always ask for higher. And then know your range to come down on. Director. So my directors have been interesting. I have directors that usually are bidding through a production company. And the average, I would say, I've seen their rates in the bid is usually like 5000 a day. But I've seen higher too. And you guys are, you usually book them for, uh, for pre-production a few days or? So... When it, it varies, it has varied. It really just depends on the nature of, you know, the client, like how much of a creative team we have and how heavily they involved and like really like what our budget is for like an entire shoot. So, you know, when I've, I've worked on stuff that's lean, so to speak, then, you know, we've hired a director who's also taken on a whole bunch of other stuff and had a pass through, you know, production company and, and just brought on a couple of people and they've made a lot more money that way. Um, and then we have, you know, ones where it's like full on production and then the, we just hire them for, you know, one day of, of, of pre and then like the shoot itself and maybe like one day with post and everything moves on to like the editor running stuff so it has it really varies on on like what the budget is for the overall production which is a whole other topic because you know it varies if you've got a low budget production versus you've got like 500 to a million dollars to produce a spot you can see a lot of things change um copywriter i've seen copywriters average around six to eight hundred producer producers 600 senior producer 800. Production coordinator. I usually don't hire production coordinators on day rate, like freelance. Usually they're staff or they come on as like a one day, you know, one, two, three, depending on like the shoot for then we'll pay them probably like a 350 day, right? Anyone else I miss? I'm trying to think of folks in the creative writer, the writing team. One, one thing I will say, one thing I will say. And this is what I've noticed is that we are not transparent enough about what we're making with each other. And so this is something that has become, you know, let's say in the last two, three years, um, as I've started to move into doing a lot more hiring, like I'm hiring based yeah. on like what our scope is for this project. So if something is lean, sometimes we're going to push in, try to get as 
whoever we can, top talent for little, whatever little rate, unfortunately, because sometimes that's just the nature of things and you're trying to stretch a dollar. Um, always works better when you have more budget. But what I have said, like when I've been on the agency side and I'm hiring a freelancer and I know like what my wiggle room, I have seen people of color come in and their rate are just way too low and they just don't know. And sometimes I just can't, I'm not necessarily in a position and I try to stay on the connection on the, on the side and build like my connect like offline and be like, Hey, we didn't bring on for this, but I want to mentor you. I want to talk to you and like, you know, we need to add you up. Or sometimes if I'm in a position where I can and say like, yeah, so your rate is five for a producer. That's you should awesome. be tired. We, we pay six, so we're going to pay you six. You know, sometimes I'm able to be in a position to do that. But I have seen folks who are white and who come in as an associate producer and say, oh, I have a $500 a day rate. And I have seen folks who have worked with them before and say, yeah. I really want that person. So yeah. we're going to pay them that, even though that's yeah. below my, my, you know, the rate card. Mm-hmm. Right. And which is why relationships really matter yeah. and the work that you do and your reputation really matters. But I would say, you know, what I'm seeing, I've seen right now for like solid producers, between five, six, really, if you're a producer and you're really good and you have an experience, like I yeah. would ask for right. 600 period. And then I have seen senior producers who've been really good ask between like 750, 800 a day, sometimes 900, right? I've seen EPs go for like a thousand to like 1250 or, you know, a day, but then also depends on like, you got to do your research because there's agencies out there that are historically known for paying low. And all that information is online. You can go on Glassdoor and kind of like read between the lines. You can go on Fishbowl, which I do spend a lot of time on. And I'll, I'll go on Fishbowl and I'll look at production chats and I'll see like anonymously what are people posting. And you can kind of start creating your own rate card yeah. and, and, and kind of decide from there. Um, but a lot of that is like being able to do your due diligence and do your research and understanding like if I'm going to go work at an ad agency, like what are they known for? Like, are, are they known for paying people well, even though like, you know, agency life, you're working a long hours, you're guaranteed like going to have to work some weekend work. So you take all that into, you know, uh, into consideration, but there are some agencies that are known for just paying people low, just like there's some networks that are historically known for just underpaying people. And there's some publishers that are just known for that. And you have to do your, your research, but definitely we like, as a people need to be more transparent um, because I'm sure some of the numbers that I'm shelling out, there's probably other EPs that are paying higher and there's definitely EPs that are paying, you know, lower because of like what's been set forth by the companies and the budgets and the productions that they're working with. And the spirit of transparency, I, the last time I worked at an agency on branded content, I think it was three years ago and I was working as a post producer and my rate was six fifty a day. So for the people listening, that is me being transparent to, to sort of start that, start that wave. Um, this was great. This is going to be really helpful for people, Sherilyn. Thank you for your, for just, for saying yes. Oh, I'm yeah. glad. I'm glad. No, thanks for having me. I wasn't sure where the conversation was going to go, but I'm always down for a chat and I'm always, you know, if I could drop some knowledge that'll help someone as they're like starting out their career they're trying to transition you know like I'm always available to talk to folks or give feedback get advice if somebody wants to have a numbers conversation a negotiation conversation on like how do you get more coin or sometimes not even just about the coin sometimes Mm -hmm. it's about how do you negotiate more time off or more flexible hours and things of that thing and like things of that nature like everything is can we do a part two next season all about negotiations negotiating time money all that (laughs) i am all for it um you know that has become like Mm -hmm. you know my latest passion point for myself as i've started uncovering and, and, and meeting more people, more women. Like I've, I've started meeting more black women who are becoming more transparent, which has allowed me to understand like, oh, wait a second, you're at like a, a SVP yeah. level and you make how much money? Like, I didn't know that. But I, you won't know that unless these conversations are being had, right? And so like, that's like my biggest thing is that 
not only is it about making relationships with other people yeah. that don't look at us, but like within our community, like we need to be okay being transparent with each other and letting that guard down on like, you should be able that like, hey, I'm billing like 1250 a day as like an EP. Because one, it allows you to know like, oh, where's my benchmark? How do I, you know, set my rates? Are, are my rates too low? But then at the same time, like, if every one of us is not are, are charging too low and other people who look like us are charging yeah. higher, like you need to put that stuff out there. Yeah. Right. So like yeah. how else are we going to level the playing field? Yeah. It's great. It's awesome. Super duper awesome. Um, okay. Thank you so much. Is there anything you have going on that you want people to check out, follow? Um, not yet. Not yet at the moment. I am in the process of kind of building out my own podcast that's been long overdue. Um, it's really catered to, you know, all things lifestyle, career, relationships at the intersection of motherhood for women of color. So uh, that's that's my new baby that I, I've been working on for quite a while and I need to put out there. So um, I'll definitely share that info um when when it is out but otherwise just find me on the interwebs and I'm always you know folks want to hit me up or want to chat they could always just come find me and shoot me a note where can they find you um everything is usually first last name so <laughs> Sherilyn Baptiste at gmail.com if you want to hit me with an email or I'm at Sherilyn Baptiste on Instagram all right Sherilyn Baptiste thank you so much for your time and your contribution I'm so grateful for you Alrighty. Thank you. It's been great.